welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Te Sequetum territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequetum Ulu. And today's text, You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah, takes place in Purchase, New York, the traditional home of the Mohican, Wapanager, Muncie Lenape, and Skadakoke peoples. And Joe. Mm-hmm. In my research to find that information, I learned that Purchase, New York, is one of the single wealthiest communities on the entire eastern seaboard of the United States. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Who knew? I mean, I didn't at all, obviously. (laughs) No, clearly we did not know that. (laughs) Joe, Mm -hmm. I have a confession to make. Okay. I approached this text in a really inefficient and illogical way. Okay. So I like read the first part of the book and then I had like this window of time because you know for me, carving out the time to actually watch the things is always the hardest. So Yes. I watched the first half of the movie while Mm -hmm. my kiddo was out, and then I finished the book, and then I finished the movie. And normally that's fine because, you know, whatever. Um, Sure. But this adaptation is like so different in some key ways, and Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit worried that I'm going to screw up the plot of both as a result of the fashion in which I watched this and read it. Right. Yeah. So sorry (laughs) in advance. Yeah, so we're going to try to piece through this together because I was telling you off mic that I enjoyed the book. I read it relatively quickly and then most of it just kind of floated away. So (laughs) I also am having some difficulty remembering some key things. So listeners, bear with us as we (laughs) go on this journey together. It's also kind of interesting because the book itself was written. Oh, I haven't even said. Uh, so the book is You Are So Not Invited to My Bet Mitzvah by Fiona Rosenblum. And it was first published in 2005 mm-hmm. to very little notice, as near as I can figure. Okay. And then Happy Madison, Adam Sandler's production company, acquired the rights to it. And they re released it, obviously, ah, with a movie tie in cover. And I so. See. The reviews of it are very interesting because a lot of people are reading it not realizing that it was first published in 2005. Mm-hmm. And it does feel in some moments quite dated. I mean, it's culturally very dated. Like they literally watch an episode of Nick and Jessica Newlyweds <laughs> in yeah. the book. And there's lots and lots of very 2005 musical references. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, like... It's a book about teenage girls from 2005. So, like, we have some fat phobia. We have some, like, Mm -hmm. framing about people's bodies that's really, really uncomfortable. That said, the level of, like, scandal (laughs) that the girls get up to in the book Mm -hmm. is, like, nothing compared to what you see in the movie. So, I don't know. Let's get into the plot. And then, I don't know. I don't quite know what I make of it. So, I'll start with plot. Okay. So... (laughs) Our protagonist is Stacey Friedman, and she is preparing for her bat mitzvah. And actually, Joe, I will say one thing I really enjoyed about the book is, you know, I've obviously seen bat mitzvahs like referenced in our culture lots and lots. And I've known people who have like been bat mitzvahed in the past, but growing up, I didn't know any Jewish kids. And so I like I learned a lot about like what a bat mitzvah is from this book, you know, like the spiritual side of it. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, that to me was actually one of the stronger parts of the book as well. I'll confess, I didn't realize that girls had an equivalency because I was familiar with a bar mitzvah. So Mm. I didn't realize that there was a bat mitzvah. And I had definitely never learned anything about what a mitzvah was. Like, I thought it was a coming of age party in the same way that you might have like a quinceanera. And that's probably me showing my butt about quinceaneras. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think we just don't know enough about any or either of them. But it was really fascinating to me to learn about like, the religious responsibilities and the difference between the religious service and the party and all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, if if you're if you're boring Wonder Bread people like me and Joe, and you want to learn about this time in a person's life, I think this is a great book for that perspective. Um, I didn't expect it to go into so much detail about sort of the spiritual 
component. Mm-hmm. I will say, I mean, I think that this is a very accessible entryway as well. Totally. Like, if you are a Jewish person, you're probably reading this and feeling, oh, okay, this is probably very surface level. There's a lot more to it. There's a ration and a reason behind mm-hmm. everything. Uh, but yeah, for folks who aren't Jewish, this felt like a very easy way to get enough information so that you could understand the story, but also appreciate some of the nuance or the the cultural importance. Yeah, I agree totally. And one of the things that's so relatable about Stacy is like everybody's telling her about the cultural and religious and spiritual significance of this event. And she's and she very concerned about the party. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is so 13 years old, right? Totally. So she's concerned about things like having the right dress, having her crush there, maybe even kissing her crush at mm-hmm. her bat mitzvah. Like these are her priorities. Yeah. The problem is that her crush is a P.O.S. Oh, he's terrible. (laughs) Andy Goldfarb. (laughs) So I've already made the argument that the book is very dated, but there are moments in the book where I was like, oh, okay. Like when people point out to um, Andy that the way he speaks, acts, and behaves is cultural appropriation Mm -hmm. of like rap culture. I was quite pleasantly surprised that the book goes into that discussion because yeah, Andy is a lot to take. For those listeners who have recently read The Woman in Me by Britney Spears, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm going here, Joe. You may remember- The scene in which Britney describes how embarrassing it was to hear Justin Timberlake talk to people he knew who made rap and hip hop music because he would appropriate their way of speaking. Walking our way was a guy with a huge blinged out medallion. He was flanked by two giant security guards. Jay got all excited and said so loud, oh yeah, foshes, foshes, genuine, what's up, homie? Um, That's Andy Goldfarb, except that he's not Justin Timberlake, so he doesn't even have that going for him. Hmm. Yeah. But there's also a character named Lydia, who's yes. very important. She's the best friend. And they end up in a bit of a situation where because of Andy Goldfarb's Andy Goldfarbness, um, <laughs> our protagonist Stacy decides to renounce her lifelong crush on this boy. And instead, what happens is that Lydia kind of becomes interested in him. And over the course of the narrative, we go from sort of seeing Lydia through Stacy's eyes as being this like boy stealer to recognizing that like everybody has a crush on Andy Goldfarb to realizing that like Lydia is being just as badly used by Andy as like everybody seems to be in the text. Um, and that's really the arc is that feeling betrayed by Lydia and ostracized by all of her other friends, Stacy kind of spirals about what's going to happen with her bat mitzvah. But also she's being secretly pursued by a cute boy named Dante. Yeah. And she's trying to do these mitzvahs, right? These kind of good deeds, these positive acts. And one of them is by hooking up international student and cute boy Dante with awkward brother Arthur so that he can learn to be more poised and coordinated, which is a very cute subplot. Mm-hmm. We also have a subplot about Stacy's parents getting divorced. Her dad is horrible, by the way. I can yeah. see why Adam Sandler's production company changed it a bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's not a very good divorce. He's basically moved on very quickly to a new woman. A patient, as near as we can figure, right? Just, like, no thought process about how Mm -mm. it might feel that you just randomly introduce this new woman into your children's lives. Like, it doesn't appear to have been a conversation. So, yeah, I mean, Stacey ends up inadvertently hooking up Dante's, quote-unquote, foster parents or, like, the people he's staying with. She ends up inadvertently hooking up Dante's father with her mother so that by book's end, it's like, oh, there's a mitzvah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And really, the lesson that Stacy learns over the course of the narrative is about sacrifice, which is right. conveniently what she's supposed to have been learning about this whole time, because that's the chapter of the Torah that she's been assigned. And mm-hmm. so, or I guess, I don't even know if it's chapter Joe, that's the passage of the Torah she's been assigned. There and she's supposed to learn a lesson about sacrifice. And really, what she learns is that she's been terrible at mm-hmm. anything like sacrifice, because all she's been thinking about this whole time is herself. 
Yeah, herself. And like, yeah, she wants her brother to like be a better dancer, but that's mostly so he doesn't embarrass her at his party. And yeah, she wants her mom to be like in a relationship, but that's mostly so she's not bummed out about her mom at her party, right? And so (laughs) what she comes to realize at the end is that the most important thing is figuring out how to mend her relationship with Lydia and having Lydia by her side at her bat mitzvah. Uh, And telling off Andy Goldfarb in a very satisfying scene at the end of the book. (laughs) Sure. So let's talk a little bit about the conflict between Stacey and Lydia, because I'll confess that as easy to consume as this book is, there were a couple of points where I just went, "Eh," and... Mm. The conflict between Stacy and Lydia was definitely the biggest one for me. So yes. Lydia is weirdly queer coded throughout the first part of the book. And maybe it's just teen girls being mean spirited teen girls where they say, oh, Lydia doesn't seem to like boys. They mock her when she doesn't want to go in the pool. And so she ends up kissing Andy Goldfarb as a way to practice kissing but she does this right after stacy rescinds her lifelong love for andy and sure that's a very 13 year old girl thing to do where it's like oh well you said it was okay even though it's been 20 minutes and now i'm macking on the person you've had a crush on Mm -hmm. but it also felt like lydia was never presented as that obtuse of a character and also i was like but hasn't the book also been hinting that she really is queer Yeah, I feel like this might be 2005, like not able to decide whether a character could be out or be Mm -hmm. questioning. It's interesting because the book plays at being very cool. Like at one point, they question the idea of having a Harry Potter party because actually, here's an interesting point, Joe. Mm -hmm. Do you think this book was revised between 2005 and 2023? Because I wouldn't be surprised. Was the J.K. Rowling is a transphobe thing even part of the discourse whereas these kids are very aware of it uh yeah see i don't think that was a thing in 2005 because we were still making the movies then i think the big revelations about she who must not be named didn't really come out until the 2010s i want to say Yeah, so I'm really confused about the trajectory of this book. And like, normally you get a really good breakdown of like different editions and stuff on Mm -hmm. Goodreads, but Goodreads is really silent about this. And I can't figure it out because there are so many things that aren't updated in the book that I can't really figure out what's happening here. But suffice it to say, in the version that Joe and I read, whatever that is, um, (laughs) there is real discussion about things like transphobia and queerphobia, like that does come up. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's weird that, yeah, we also have this clearly queer-coded Lydia character at the beginning. Like, the whole point about Lydia is she doesn't even want to go to, like, a sleepover party with her friends because she knows they're just going to talk about boys and she's bored senseless of it. So it's not even – at the beginning of the book, I actually read her as specifically ace-coded, right? Or or arrow-coded. Like, that definitely seemed to be the trajectory. And so, yeah, the the – Turning to Andy, who Lydia, by the way, can also see through at the beginning of the book better than any of the other girls. Yes, it doesn't make any sense. Like of all the boys that you might even practice on, you chose the one that you find reprehensible that you also know your best friend had. Like it, it felt like manufactured conflict. And I got over it because I think the rest of the book is pretty enjoyable and a little bit slight. But this really just felt like a we couldn't have done this better. Yeah, yeah. And it is a problem in that it means that you don't really believe the core of their fight, Mm -hmm. which is okay because, of course, you know that they're going to sort it out in the end, but it does reduce the stakes to nothing. There are no no stakes, really. Not really. I'll confess, I was actually less interested in the Stacey Lydia stuff, if only because, yeah, you know exactly where it's going to go. You know that we're going to end up getting a happy bat mitzvah and all this other stuff. I was so interested in Arthur and Stacey's relationship with him. And we'll have things to say when we get to the film, obviously, but... I thought that this was a really interesting depiction because the other thing that this book is doing but not saying is that this character reads like he identifies as being on the spectrum. Yes, agreed. And it's a very interesting sibling relationship, and it's not one we see a lot of, which is that Mm -hmm. it's very loving. Yeah, but still with true conflict. Mm -hmm. It's I think it's actually one of the better sibling relationships that we've read. 
But yeah, I agree with you that there is much like Lydia, there seems to be a whole lot of subtext that the book is too... It's afraid to put a label on things, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. The whole idea is like, oh, he's got a really high IQ and he's really socially awkward. Um, but mm-hmm. a lot of the mannerisms are very, like, yes, as you say, sort of spectrum coded. You know, there are texts where that really works and feels very inclusive. Like I'm thinking about like a show like Bob's Burgers, where we don't have a diagnosis for any of those characters, but they're very clearly representing sort of a range of neurotypicalities. Mm-hmm. Here, it doesn't feel like that. It just feels like we didn't want to put a label on it out of some sort of tentativeness. Right. Because there's no reason to believe that Arthur wouldn't have a diagnosis. This is a wealthy family. Yes, uh-huh. they're going through a divorce and there is some, you know, they have cut back compared to other families, which is an issue that Stacy has going into her bat mitzvah. You know, she's very worried right. it's not going to be as fancy as Lydia's, etc. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's no reason to think that like the doctor father would not have achieved like appropriate care for his son because there's no subtext to suggest that the family's in denial about it or anything you know what i mean mm-hmm. no everyone just accepts that this is who arthur is and yeah. you know everybody's kind of okay with it they all just kind of act as though oh this is something to do with the growth spurts because he's shot up over the summer he's you know very tall all of a sudden and the repeated joke slash refrain is that he just can't handle the way his body moves yet and it's like a source of physical comedy but you're like okay but that's not implicitly tied to the high iq and the social awkwardness which isn't even that awkward so much as he clearly just has difficulty reading the room a little bit. And Mm -hmm. that's how Dante helps him. It's like, oh, well, you can use your body to communicate in certain situations. I think you're finding it hard to articulate, Joe, because the book can't articulate what it means to create this character. And, you know, ambiguity is totally fine. Not something we usually have a problem with, but there's something about the way it's performed here Mm -hmm. that doesn't work. And I think it's because... And maybe this is something to do with, like, the schedule of updates on this book or the fact that there are clearly maybe a couple of editions floating around or what. But, like, there are places where the book is very frank and very explicit. And then there are these weird silences, like, around Lydia and around Arthur that just don't hang with the rest of the tone of the book, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's a funny little book, Joe. I really enjoyed it. Like... It was pleasurable oh, yeah. to read. It's a quick read. It's funny. It like it's mm-hmm. genuinely very funny. I had some actual like snort moments when I was reading it. <laughs> okay. Um, but it is very slight. It is quite forgettable, and there are these sort of overhanging problems that the more the more you and I are talking, the more I'm realizing that may might actually have been introduced in some sort of revision process because of the film. Maybe. Yeah, this is one of those things where I want to do some digging or I want some kind of revelation to come out after the fact. But I think you're right. One of the things that what we may be seeing is that this book has been edited in anticipation of the film release. And because it's so new, we just haven't actually got any sort of confirmation. Yeah, it's weird. There are sequels, Joe. So Well, there's at least one sequel. Uh, the sequel was published in 2007, and it's called We Are So Crashing Your Bar Mitzvah. From the title alone, I'm going to expect this is about Arthur's bar mitzvah, because right. he is the younger brother. He feels wrong, by the way, age-wise, um, which is, yeah. I guess, another reason why the silence around whatever is like his situation is hard, because he's supposed to be mm-hmm. 10. and he Yeah, no. Mm-mm. And especially not a socially awkward 10. Like, no... Not no. at all. Mm-mm. No, it's not even just, oh, he's got a high vocabulary. He is more erudite than most adults I've met in my life. Yeah, he really, really is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, why don't we transition over to the film? Because I do feel like we're going to have quite a bit to talk about. Yes, please. My bot mitzvah determines the rest of my life. If I have a kick-ass party, doors would open... I just think Dua Lipa would make the party perfect. You can have a ball pit. That's for kids. I've had my period for seven months now. That's a long period, sweetheart. La 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 la. I'm not popular. What is happening? You look insane. Slay queen. I'm not a loser. I look like the lady that pulls kids out of class when their parents get into car accidents. 
How often does that happen? I might be a little obsessed. One day, Andy Goldfarb will be mine, and you will have a cool boyfriend too, and then we'll have a joining loss in Tribeca and Taylor Swift's building. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. Can you just let me explain, please? No, let me explain to you. We are no longer friends. <laughs> Yo, shit just got real. <laughs> What's the matter? Something bugging you? She betrayed me. She kissed my crush, and then he touched her on her boob and pee. A, B, C, D, E, F, U. Oh, hey, I'm the boob. Hey, I got plenty of that. You're not taking this seriously. You used to be such a respectful kid. I volunteered at the retirement home. So you could do a mitzvah, or so you could flirt with a boy. Facts. Real talk. I don't know what's happening between you two. Lydia has long black hairs on her nipples. You wouldn't happen to know why people keep asking me if they can floss their teeth with my nipple hair. Do you, Stacey? Uh, no. I know what she needs because I know how she's feeling. She needs to process this herself. I know she hurt you, but I'm sure she misses her best friend. I'm gonna take that as a maybe. I'm so. Try to apologize. What is it another? No, it's enough. It's too late. You don't shape up. Your bat mitzvah is gonna be canceled, sis. Dad, just talk to her. Don't yell. Gabby! Hey! You're a jerk and you won't let me have a mojito bar. That's why we fought the Nazis! Is this a bad time? So you can have a mojito bar! Okay, so you are so not invited to my bat mitzvah. It is a <laughs> it is a 2023 Netflix movie directed by Sammy Cohen. We have previously talked about their work, queer non-binary director of the movie Crush that we actually both quite liked. Oh, it's the same director? Yeah. Oh my god, Joe, imagine if I ever knew anything about the things we talk about on this show. <laughs> I'm so delighted to learn this information. There we go. I mean, I was more like, this has a similar kind of vibe, right? It does. It's breezy. It's fun. It's a little escapist. And it's got a few problems. So in addition to Cohen, we have a screenplay by Alison Peck, as well as author Fiona Rosenblum. And then the cast, I think, is where people stood up and took notice of the movie. Because, of course, this is an Adam Sandler family affair, Brenna. It really is. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many examples there are of someone casting, like, literally their wife and both their children in a film. But here we are. <laughs> Yeah, so we should note that Sonny Sandler, who plays Stacy, as well as Sadie Sandler, who plays older sister Ronnie, we do not have an Arthur in the film. We have eschewed that character and put in a wiser, sager, older sister. Um, they had both acted before, so it's not as though this was Sandler awkwardly shoehorning his daughters into a production, but this is the first time that they have acted with him as well as his wife, Jackie Sandler, who plays Lydia's mother, Gabby. So this was the first time that they had all appeared on screen together in the same film. It's an interesting dynamic because Indina Menzel is actually playing the mom character mm -hmm. here, so it's kind of funny that the family is there but not there. I don't know. Yes. Interesting choices. Yes. And of course, Adam Sandler and Adina Menzel had acted together previously in the Sadfi Brothers production of Uncut Gems, which is a very Jewish film, but it's also very for adults because it's all about a man who makes an extremely bad decision. And then it's high anxiety for like the rest of the film. Some people have been like, oh, it's the most extreme Jewish film you've ever seen because it's like what it means to be Jewish. Oh. And for everybody else, it's just a nightmare. <laughs> okay, interesting. So, tense. <laughs> so the other significant actors of note, we have Samantha Lorraine as Lydia, we have Dylan Hoffman as Andy Goldfarb. We also have SNL actor Sarah Sherman as Rabbi Rebecca, gender flipped for the film. And then some other bit parts, we have Louis Guzman as Eli, that's Lydia's father, Ido Mazari as DJ Shmuley, the DJ that everybody wants at their bar or bat mitzvah. Yeah, overpriced though he is. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, we have Dean Scott Vasquez as Mateo instead of Dante. And just like we talked about with the book with Arthur, I would argue that Dean Scott Vasquez looks about five years too young for this cast because everybody else looks fine. And then he looks like a child. 
Yeah, he really does. And it kind of complicates some of the some of the narrative as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want to see him looking up no. with Stacy because he looks like a younger brother. It's, he really does. Yeah, it's mm, yeah. So one of the things that I gathered is that this film took quite a long time. As you noted, you know, the book didn't really regain popularity until it was picked up by Sandler's production company, Happy Madison. But the film should have come out well before this, but apparently it was considered too Jewish for people to pull the trigger on. Really? Even on a streaming service? Like, I know, Joe, I know I say this all the time when we have these conversations, but like... If not for niche content, what Mm -hmm. is the point of a streaming (laughs) service? Like, I just don't, I don't get, I don't get a place like Netflix being skittish about this. It's like huge stars. It's big laughs. The cameos from folks like Luis Guzman are hilarious. Like, Mm -hmm. so it's about a bar mitzvah. What the hell? Like, I just don't get it. I think part of it is that even though there's an opportunity to profile niche uh, either cultural properties or marginalized figures or even selective storytelling, at the end of the day, Netflix is still a company that is publicly traded and they want to make money. So if a title doesn't feel like it's going to perform across all four quadrants, they're going to look at it and be like, ooh, maybe we should have gone with the latest action movie by Liam Hemsworth. Ugh. All this to say, it does end up getting made. The reviews are extremely positive. This is actually, (laughs) you're going to laugh. This is Adam Sandler's highest rated ever movie on Rotten Tomatoes. That doesn't surprise me. Like, it's it's very watchable. Everybody is extremely likable. This is the least annoying Adam Sandler has ever been in a comedy, I think. Um, (laughs) Like, I, I I get why. And you know what? I know there was a lot of online chatter when this film was announced because people were like, oh, like, Nepo babies in the starring roles of this film, blah, blah, blah. And, like, normally I'm the first one to be like, oh, good, rich people giving more opportunities to other rich people. Fantastic. That's what the world needs. (laughs) But Sadie and Sonny Sandler have amazing chemistry. Like, they really sell it as sisters. Um, But they're Mm -hmm. also both really good. Like, they have great comic timing. You know, Sonny Sandler does a fair amount of, like, physical comedy, like, mm-hmm. Pratt Falls, like, the whole thing. She's very – she sells them very well. Uh, Sadie Sandler as the sort of older, wiser sister with the very kind of brusque but loving relationship with the father sells that well. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's very watchable. This is a very watchable family. It is, yeah. And I actually think that the performances are the key selling feature for the film. It does feel slight in all the same ways that Mm -hmm. we talked about with the film but you have the added benefit of stuff like music and montage so we get to see these bat mitzvahs and they feel like absolute ragers and there's a lot of fun to be had in the kind of visual momentum that the film has but i did want to highlight that i think there's some key differences between book and film So as we've noted, we have a Ronnie character, an older sister, instead of an Arthur character, a younger, potentially neurodivergent sibling. And I think that that just immediately makes the movie less interesting. Like, I'm not going to lie, I do like the relationship between the sisters. I think we get a lot of good comedy out of it, but it also feels less challenging. It 100% is. And it also changes Stacey's role in the family, right? Mm -hmm. Eldest daughter to youngest daughter is a big change. Eldest daughter to a youngest daughter with a sister who has gone before is another big change. Like the whole thing in the book is there's this sort of lingering melancholy around the fact that Stacey feels a little bit slighted that her parents couldn't even stay married until her bat mitzvah, right? Like there's this (laughs) idea of like, you really have to get divorced now like seriously and like stacy is a selfish little b word in the book in lots of moments and this is sort of one of those things whereas here like ronnie has already had a bat mitzvah all of these dynamics have already been played out and this is Mm -hmm. more about stacy figuring out where she fits yes in the footsteps of her sister which is still like is still an important coming of age story but not nearly as sort of layered and nuanced and not so many places for potential trip lines to be caught because also the parents are still married here in fact their marriage is mm-hmm. quite oh, good positive like yeah. and so 
again, that becomes like a place where it's the fact that Lydia has the divorced parents that is mm-hmm. like one of the things that we feel for Lydia about. Whereas like Stacy's Stacy's all right. She's yeah. pretty privileged. She's got Stacy's doing fine. <laughs> yeah, she's doing fine. Can I just say, Joe, you mm-hmm. um you alluded to the music when you were talking before, and I just want to say, like, to the fellow old people. <laughs> get on board with this banging soundtrack this film feels like it was scored by the people at tiktok like Mm -hmm. think about all the songs that you only know 15 seconds of because you've seen tiktoks or reels of them right all of those songs are in this movie like literally all of them i'm not i'm not slighting it it feels extremely contemporary though and i wonder how this soundtrack in particular is gonna feel even just like five years from now Mm -hmm. which is so funny though because one of the things that they talked about you know i read a couple of different interviews with cohen and they specifically identified like oh when we were modernizing this because the book is older some of the things that they wanted to do was update the music because it was outdated so that's why we're getting like Dua Lipa now Mm -hmm. okay got it and then the other big thing that they wanted to focus on was making the film just more appropriate for modern audiences so they wanted to do more colorblind casting which Mm. they accomplished and they wanted to introduce more queerness which I think they're giving themselves a little too much praise for because I'm like, you have a character talk about a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And that's like the extent of queerness in this film. Yeah, I will say I was impressed just visually when you watch the scenes, particularly in Hebrew school. Mm -hmm. It's a very uh, richly diverse representation of modern Jewish life. Like there's Uh kids from all kinds of different racial and ethnic backgrounds in the school. Not all of them get an awful lot to do. No, but visually it looks very diverse. It does, yeah. And in fact, I just, you know, I loved those Hebrew school scenes because it was this sense of like who these kids are when Mm -hmm. they are outside of the like day school context and into this, this other context where they're sort of more, I don't know, like caught together. Like there's that vibe of... The same as like books that are set in a private school where it's like, I'm stuck with these people no matter what happens. I got to figure out a way to like be in space with them for better or for worse uh, that I really appreciated. I kind of always love those sorts of narratives for teens. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's it's something that we often bemoan with these high school set films, right? Where it seems like nobody goes to school, whereas here they're not going to regular school. They're going to jewish school on the weekends yeah exactly and we do spend an awful lot of time in the school um but it's a really richly laid out world i absolutely love rabbi rebecca like i think she's great and i think she gives a lot of humor yes but she's also (laughs) like simultaneously the humor and the moral core of a lot of what happens in the film um and i think she sells that really well she balances that really well without ever feeling like oh and this is the movie of the week segment of the film which in fairness as much as i learned from the book i did sometimes feel like i was being talked to you know instead Uh. of like enjoying the narrative That is fascinating because my point of contention was going to be that the film feels afraid to deal with actual Jewish lesson learning. Like, I felt like we deliberately do not talk very much about the mitzvahs except to introduce it as comedy so that we can do things like, oh, Stacy is going to go volunteer at the old folks home because that's where Andy Goldfarb's grandmother is do you think that the film is anticipating a jewish audience that the book is not that the book is anticipating Mm. a non-jewish audience and trying to explain to them maybe yeah i mean i was very much the shiksa reading the jewish book where you're not a shiksa (laughs) <laughs> i i could be you don't know you how i died to, <laughs> really try to sell yourself pretty high here Joe. <laughs> no the film definitely feels like it's just walking some things back to try to be palatable to a broader mm. general audience interesting yeah but maybe it's just because the movie is less interested in examining stacy accomplishing the mitzvahs and more focused on doing mean girls the jewish version between her and lydia there is a lot of that and i think we should acknowledge that 
you know, my complaint about the book is that we have very low stakes because mm-hmm. the conflict doesn't isn't really believable. Right. The film ramps the stakes up. I, not even to 11. Like, what's beyond 11? 12? It's very high. So, like, first of all, there's this whole thing where... So, in the book, they go to this big like ledge to jump into the water and Mm -hmm. Lydia's the one who does it because nobody else's parents will let them get away with it so Lydia's the one who does it which is how she ends up alone with Andy and the kissing in this version Lydia is already accepted by the popular kids and it's Stacy's desire to be equally accepted by the popular kids that has her run and leap and jump into the water Mm -hmm. But here we have, and this is something that this film shares with Crush. This is maybe some of that vibe alliance that we feel, which is that Sammy Cohen does not shy away from gross out humor for girls at all. And so we end up with like a sanitary pad floating in the water and Mm -hmm. it's kind of outed. I mean, it's outed that she has her period. And one of the things I love is that the other girls are like, so it's totally normal what's the problem here (laughs) exactly but of course the boys are grossed out and it becomes a meme um and the feud is really more about the fact that stacy thinks that lydia is laughing at her expense and really lydia's just really uncomfortable she didn't want to be there in the first place yeah yeah i mean when we get down to the heart of the conflict like when they really hash their stuff out after stacy has fully inadvertently ruined lydia's bat mitzvah (gasps) that video is is horrible horrifying absolutely awful i mean we set it up so that we can knock it down so you know it's coming but it's still Mm -hmm. really bad when you have to see the whole thing play out in front of a whole crowd Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's really hard to watch yeah, I mean, it's awkward cringe comedy, so we're we're doing that. But um, when they finally end up screaming at each other and really just laying all the cards on the table, that to me was the moment that paid all of this Mean girl stuff off because too often it felt very, okay, well, the book doesn't have the high enough stakes, so let's make sure that we introduce a ton of conflict between girls in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... There's this tension in the film that's constantly between, like, it's funny to watch girls be mad at each other mm-hmm. and sisters got to stay together. And, like, yeah. the film doesn't really know which one of those. Actually, I think the film does. The film knows that the fights between the girls have the bigger comedic payoff. Mm-hmm. But it feels like it has to pay lip service to this sort of recurrent bit of older women being like you guys should stay friends because life is hard Mm -hmm. but it it's not believable because the film keeps going (laughs) back to the well of like let's humiliate lydia as much as humanly possible yes yeah and and honestly also stacy like there's these moments of awkward cringe comedy where stacy goes with her father to the movies and she's not feeling like it she's in the middle of this big fight with lydia and she's there in her pajamas with her father who is also in his pajamas and she sees the most popular girls at school Mm -hmm. and she you know is obviously not dressed to be seen in public and i just think okay yeah i mean The other interesting thing that came out from Cohen's interviews was they specifically talked about not wanting to lean into what people our age think young people dress like. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate that there's a subplot in the film about how Lydia, her dad is trying to buy her off by getting her expensive stuff in the divorce. And suddenly the popular girls at school take notice of her because she's wearing brand name clothes. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, like when we're looking at Stacy and Ronnie and a lot of the other characters, they're dressed in very just kind of shabby chic. It's not expensive. It doesn't look like Clueless, which is one of the films that Cohen references as a bit of a benchmark. They specifically didn't want to lean into this idea that everyone is dressed like a Kardashian. My favorite moment in the film is when the popular girls stop the girls in the hallway and one of them says, oh, is that? And like name some designer that, of course, I had no idea what they were talking about. Um, And and the one girl goes, oh, no, it's from Walmart. I got a shirt, a bathing suit and a bag for $14. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, like I, I appreciated those kinds of elements. As soon as I realized that the film was not going to be playing in the same sandbox with some of its issues as the book was doing, I was able to appreciate some of the class critique a little bit more. Um, you know, I was still missing Arthur. I was still missing what I perceived to be less Jewishness, but mm-hmm. I did end up appreciating those kinds of elements in the film, which felt like it was trying to do its own thing. Yeah, I do think the film is worth people's time. I think it's a lot of fun. And I think the book is too. I think Mm -hmm. surprisingly, maybe this ended up being one of the texts where I think film and book are almost most divergent from each other. And I think you can enjoy both as sort of completely separate texts. Right. The film is very quick to shed its connection to the book, I think, like right from the beginning. I didn't find myself, with the exception of missing seeing how Arthur would translate to screen, I didn't really Mm -hmm. find myself being like, oh, I wish they had done this or I wish they had done that. I just sort of accepted the film for what it was. Mm -hmm. And it is. It's totally enjoyable. Like, there's a reason it has really high reviews. It's very, very funny. You probably won't remember it three hours later, but it's it's funny. (laughs) Yes. Okay. I want to talk about two more things and then we can move on to some why bingo but <laughs> uh quick shout out to judd goodstein he plays aaron who is the child who gets picked on in every situation and he's always like i didn't say that i didn't do that <laughs> <laughs> very funny my big gripe in terms of cinematic moments so in the book stacy has this moment where she has to go up and read in front of the congregation Mm -hmm. and you know it's been a stressful thing because she keeps getting it wrong and she wants to make sure that she nails it but then also she realizes she doesn't know what sacrifice means and she ends up using it as an apology to lydia who is in the room Mm mm-hmm And then we shift to the film adaptation, and Lydia has not appeared, which immediately makes what happens in the book impossible to do. So instead, Stacy tries to apologize for how self-centered she's been. And instead of getting to hear her words, we have voiceover that is competing with it, which Mm -hmm. is more or less saying the same thing, but in a more eloquent fashion. It's weird. It did not work for me at all. I was just like, this is a baffling creative decision. We needed to pick a lane and stick in it. Well, it's weird because it's not a voiceover-y film otherwise. Like, Mm -hmm. this voice of God emerging, like, I know it's Stacey, but like this idea that we have to have this external representation of the thing that's already being said within the context of the plot. I was quite Mm -hmm. confused by the choice. I don't really understand... It's not just that I disagree with it. It's that I don't actually understand what it was trying to achieve. No, it's yeah. it's very confused. But I, since you raised it, do you think that that is a gentle homage either in book or film to Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret? Oh. Just because I, I was really taken like in the book, but then when you hear it verbalized in the film, I was like, oh, are we doing a Judy Bloom homage right now? If we are, I did not get it. Oh, really? Because yeah, both, didn't both of those all. texts start with a teenage girl who is on the cusp of puberty, Jewish, talking to God about the things that they want to accomplish. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, now when you say that, it sounds dumb that I didn't get it. But, I, <laughs> but like... No, it was just, it was the first thing that came to mind. I think just because we watched the film earlier this year, so it was top of mind. Well, and the thing is that the book, we have not talked about this at all, but the book has this whole epistolary component, right? Like Mm -hmm. every second chapter almost starts with a letter to God. Right. Um, And it's less, you know, in, in obviously in Neri There God, it's me, Margaret. It's like, hi, do you even exist? Like, what's your deal? Whereas here it's like, hi God, please give me stuff. Um, Indeed. (laughs) So, and maybe that's why I didn't connect them. But like, it's interesting that the film it doesn't commit to the conceit, right? I guess that's what you mm-hmm. mean when you say it needs to pick a lane. Like, there are so many of those moments of sort of talking to and questioning God, and a lot of them in the film get represented through the conversations with Rabbi Rebecca. Yeah. Which, you know, I find them very funny. I think she's a hilarious character. The fact that she does all her spiritual ministering while walking on a uh, walking pad is hilarious to me. Right. But obviously does not have the gravitas of the conversations with the rabbi in the book. which. No. It's also an interesting choice, right? Because we've modernized it to a woman rabbi who's obviously mm-hmm. extremely progressive politically from what she talks about with her 
with her classes and everything. Mm-hmm. And yet she doesn't get to have any of sort of the standout, like, no. big speeches that the rabbi in the book gets, which is kind of disappointing. Yeah. Like, she doesn't carry, she's the moral core of the film, but the film has a lot less of a moral core, so there's not the same kind of gravitas. Exactly. Yeah. It, instead, it's a great piece for a character actor who's breaking out in various forms of media, not just SNL, but appeared on Chucky this season and so on. So it feels very much a, ooh, could we get Sarah Sherman to play this part? Let's make it very comedic. But unfortunately, it's kind of meant to be part of the heart of the story. Mm, yeah, I see what you're saying. Hmm. Yeah, not a deal breaker, just an interesting observation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, why don't we play some YA bingo with this? I actually think this book is going to, like, kill it on bingo. Oh, okay. Bingo! Not a good bingo. Okay, so we have total Mm -hmm. house porn in the film. Yes. Like, these houses are ridiculous. Everything made a lot more sense once I found out how wealthy purchased New York is, I gotta tell (laughs) you. We have a bunch of inclusion flips in the film version, mm-hmm. real yep. effort at colorblind casting. We have, I think we could argue for obviously a hollow romance, everything that Andy Goldfarb touches, mm-hmm. for example. Uh, we have a female screenwriter combo anyway, as well as a gender non- non-binary director. We don't really have right. a square for that, but non. maybe we should change that to non-dude director, screenwriter. Yeah, Jim. it doesn't feel very progressive of us, does it? No, it doesn't really. Um, the whole thing is a borrowed time narrative because we have to get to the bat mitzvah. Like, mm-hmm. that's the whole point. I'm going to do one more and then I'm going to let you take over jokes. I think there's a billion of them here. Uh, <laughs> but obviously, you've already alluded to montage, which there is so much of in the film version. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, yeah, I'm not going to give queer secondary character to this. As much as we're trying to pay lip service to it in these interviews, the film just does not have it. I'm sorry. Joe is withholding it. Joe knows how much this film wants that bingo square from us, and it, it, he, Joe is not giving it up. Absolutely not. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> Even if it costs us a line. <laughs> so... I know you're probably going to fight me on this, but I'm going to treat a bar mitzvah as an equivalency of a prom because it definitely feels like the same kind of party vibe. I'm going to give it to you because I was going to think of it as like a holiday, even though like mm. it, as in the traditional sense of the holy day sense of a holiday. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, we do have, obviously, a Netflix connection. We have a CanCon connection as well. This was filmed in Toronto. Oh, it so feels like it. <laughs> uh, stunt casting for the entire Sandler crew. Mm-hmm. And Luis Guzman for the community fans out there. So good to see our man getting some work. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Uh, yeah, I guess I have sexual awakening because mm-hmm. both texts feel like it's about realizing just because you feel things for Andy Goldfarb doesn't mean you have to act on them. Definitely. And uh... Joe, there's so much more musicality. The score right? of this film, like it never stopped. There is music in the background of literally every single scene and it's all keyed mm-hmm. to like this exact moment. Obviously, good friendships. Lydia and yes. Stacy see themselves through everything and coincidental Whatever. classes. Like obviously the classes line up directly with what Stacy is supposed to be learning and failing to learn about Judaism for her bat mitzvah. Right. You could probably make a chosen one argument, but I'm not going to do it. Yeah, it doesn't feel necessary for this. No, but that's a lot. I don't even that know if it's a, a line. Yes. But it's a lot. Uh, so it is, in fact, a line. Yeah, we very nearly got about three more, though. <laughs> well, that's the thing. This book and film feel extremely tropey. And I don't actually mean mm-hmm. that in a negative way. It's really, I think positive to see a text that is very culturally specific not just to the sort of white middle american middle class experience Mm -hmm. to tell a different kind of story and still be so almost aggressively ya in its makeup like i actually think that's kind of cool Hmm. yeah yeah this was one of those ones not on my radar at all i think you brought this up because you saw that it was blowing up online yeah and 
I'm happy that I read the book. I enjoyed it. Happy I watched the film. I enjoyed it. Will I be thinking about these texts in a couple of weeks? Probably not, but I think that's fine in some ways. Like, not everything has to be revolutionary. You know what? I think we actually even said the same thing about Crash. (laughs) It was like, it was enjoyable and it was perfectly fine. I think Crush was another example of like, check out how tropey and YA you can be while still telling stories about different kinds of kids. Mm-hmm. And I think there is, I genuinely believe there's real value in that. Yes. My only thing is that I wish that this cast could come together for a sequel, but because they didn't put Arthur's character in, I don't know what they can't just buy the rights to this next book. So who knows? Mm. Um, but I would actually really love to see the Sandler sisters act together again. I found their their chemistry together really compelling, and I would watch them again together. Yeah. Yep. Hard agree. All right, Joe. So um, we are heading off to, I think, Denmark next? It's definitely where some of the funding for the film comes from. (laughs) We're taking a look at The Shamer's Daughter, which is like a little bit fantasy, a little Mm -hmm. bit alternate history, a little bit medieval kind of vibes. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm liking it so far. So we're taking a look at the 2004 novel and the 2015 adaptation. Yeah, this is very much a series, folks. So that's one of the big criticisms that gets lodged against both the book and the film is that it feels like it's just starting to get going and then it ends. So be prepared for (laughs) not like the most extravagant of climax in both the book and the film. But that's also because there is a second book and a second film. Ooh, I feel like you're just doing this for programming, Joe, but okay. (laughs) It's more uh, highlighting for folks in case they are watching and reading along, but also because I was surprised because I didn't think that there was a second film because the movie didn't make a ton of money. Mm, Anyway, we'll talk about that more next week. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. Um... How do people get a hold of us? Uh, how do people get a hold of us? Okay, Joe. So uh, if you want to write to us, you can find us on many social media at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. And if you've got anything long form, like maybe you have read, I'm going to crash your bar mitzvah and you want to tell us about it, that would be fun. Um, you sure. can find us at HKHSPod at gmail.com. And don't forget, we do still do mailbag episodes when there is mail to bag about so please do get in touch uh joe if they want to get in touch with you particularly how do they do that you can reach me at beast on my remote and that's the letter b and i'm at brenna c gray and that is gray with an a everywhere except twitter okay (laughs) joe so yeah i i liked this this was fun nice yeah i agree it was a good time this week (laughs) so until next time i will see you on the page And I will see you on the screen. And today's text, you are so not invited to my bar mitzvah. Nope. I do that every time. Yep. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Um, How do people get a hold of us? Good question.